morning. It's, uh, it's wonderful to see you all through the camera yet again, because I know that we are going to be seeing each other face to face soon, and I am very excited for that. Even more than that, I am excited to get into the Word of God as He has spoken to us here in these, uh, these, these verses, uh, two verses that have been very instrumental in my own life, uh, that have been very meaningful for me, as I, I would guess uh, many others uh, as well. Um, I, I did want to, as, uh, you know, Will did so well. He, he set up a, a, kind of a heads up that we are starting into a new sermon series here at Parkview. Uh, it's going to be nine weeks over the topic of sanctification. Um, more or less, you're going to hear, you know, some definitions of sanctification, kind of an understanding of what sanctification might be. Um, more or less, it is a, uh, a, a holy journey of working out uh, who we are in Christ. Uh, and so we've, uh, we've, we've done this uh, kind of this summer is uh, we've, we've, we've based this off of this, uh, this book, Devoted to God, Blueprints for Sanctification by Sinclair Ferguson. Now, we've been in conversation with the publisher um, and asked, hey, this is, this is amazing what Sinclair uh, Ferguson has to offer here. Could we use the texts uh, from it and, and talk about it uh, with that? So the preaching team has been together reading through um, this book, thinking about you, thinking about our, our situation in, uh, uh, globally with uh, coming as we regather. Uh, what is the journey? What is the renewal that happens in us spiritually together? And so uh, Band of Truth has so, so wonderfully said, hey, yes, wonderful. This is great. We love what you guys are doing. Go for it. Make sure you recommend reading uh, this together, purchasing this. So we're going to make some links available for you to purchase this. We'd encourage you to read it on your own, in your family, um, with your family, uh, with community group, with your friends, whatever it would be. Uh, you can follow along with us. Uh, what we're doing that I love here is that we are not going to preach a book series. We're going to preach a uh, series off of uh, the Bible. And both uh, this book and our series uh, are going to find its base in, in some common um, passages within the Bible. And, and they're going to use it as a way to frame up this idea of sanctification and of holiness. So today we get one of the uh, well-known passages, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to frame up, uh, to frame up what it means to, uh, to enter into this journey. And I really want to give the urge this week uh, as to the why. Why do we enter this? Why do we even seek sanctification? I think our text elicits it. I think the beginning of a series also uh, encourages us to consider it. And so I will really be giving us a push to enter into this process of sanctification together, uh, into this journey of growing into the holiness that we have in Christ. And, uh, and I want to do that now. So I, I want to be a little bit interactive here. Uh, I know that um, I, if you know me well enough, uh, you know that I'm a visual learner. Uh, all of the people at North Campus uh, kind of uh, cheer or groan whenever I throw out yet another picture. So I'm going to do that. Um, so here you go. This is what I want you to draw. Either think it or draw it. Preferably draw it because then you get to experience the sermon like I do. Uh, so you draw a horizontal line. Uh, just across your paper or wherever it is uh, with crayon if you're a kid or if you got one available right there. However, horizontal line. In the middle of that horizontal line, standing on top of it, you're going to draw a stick figure. Stick figure. Now, if this sermon gets a bit boring, you can compare who has the better stick figure at home. Uh, but for now, just stick figure. So horizontal line, stick figure. Now over that, you're going to draw kind of a half circle, kind of it'll maybe even start to look like a stick figure walking into the sunset. So that's what you want. Line, stick figure, and then the half circle there. So about 250 years ago, uh, something happened that kind of changed, uh, didn't kind of, it very much changed the way 
which, uh, which people thought of themselves in relationship to God. Uh, and, and it affected their everyday life. Uh, that perception of, of, of their relationship with God uh, changed everything. Now we are 250 years later with the help of some philosophers and some cultural things and some events in, in uh, history, we are now seeing the chaos of that turn happen. Uh, on your picture there, I want you to draw um, some arrows uh, pointing in from the outside of that circle in. Now what's on the outside of that circle is actually God and then you know the stick figure represents man. Up until that point about 250 years ago, um, there was, a, uh, there was a thought, the prevailing thought, especially in the Western world, was that, was that revelation, that truth, that reality was given to us, was decided upon, created, and given to us by God. And man's job was to understand that reality, to live it out accordingly, and to advance it to the next generation. And that's how the relationship, the perception, the way of life had always been. But then this Cartesian thought happened right about the time of the Enlightenment. There are many good things about the Enlightenment, but this one was maybe not so helpful. Rene Descartes had this thought. He's trying to boil down the very essence of what it means to exist. And he has this thought that we, we may have heard before. I think, therefore, I am. At that point, at that moment, he realized that maybe all that we could know was inside my head. The fact that I exist is, is only, can, can only be proven by the fact that I think. Now, like I said, with some philosophers, with some culture, with some history happening, that, that, that thought has been whipped up a lot more so that now you can draw uh, two more arrows uh, pointing out that at that moment, we saw this huge turning of man's perception of reality and God. And that man actually, because all he could know is what he thought, actually drove reality. That what man thought and perceived and felt dictated the course of action. That he designed reality. That he actually could reason to God and in so doing sometimes took odd routes to defining who God was. God didn't drive the show after that. It was man. Now we enter a season here in 2020. We're all the way into the chaotic waters of expressive individualism where I decide the reality for all of you. Each individual is his own unit of truth. What does that have to do with sanctification? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Now this time of social distancing has given us an opportunity. It's given us an opportunity because it's brought our rhythms, our interactions, our distractions, our self-edifying ways to a screeching halt, even if for a few weeks. And we may have experienced during this time how unaware we were with the distracting rhythms of our life, those distracting rhythms which we often call busyness. We may have experienced how little we knew of our families. We may have experienced how much we struggled with being with our families. We may have experienced how difficult it could be to be alone, the crushing weight of loneliness, and, and how exhausting uh, uncertainty is when the way towards certainty is very much outside of our control. This time away from each other, in our home, sheltering in place, has been a crucible for some, for the wise who have leaned into it, to understand that maybe I'm not the arrows pointing out. 
Maybe I'm not the master of my own destiny. Maybe there's something more there. And so if that's you, if you've struggled with this, if you've realized in different ways that you don't want to define, but you can, I'll give you the freedom, just call it selfishness and pride. That's what I had to come to terms with and am still coming to terms with. If maybe you thought that you had perfect ways that were going and it seems as though fate has just crushed them. And now we've got to figure out how to rebuild them. And maybe if you just felt that sense that life's okay, life's good, but there's something more. Welcome to this journey with all of us today. See, we're going to be looking at sanctification. Now, I want to differentiate that uh, between justification. I, I did that a bit last week. I want to do it again this week. Justification is a right standing before God. So when we're talking about sanctification, we're talking about what happens after you become a Christian. And so becoming a Christian, coming to terms with your sin, with Christ, is very important. But sanctification is a right living before God. And so we're going to look at what it means to be a Christian. The gospel isn't simply that, that persuasive argument to bring you to faith in Christ Jesus. Rather, as, uh, as the uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer says, uh, the gospel is that pool that we swim in every day. And that's where we will be for nine weeks. And so I hope for you who have thought, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm okay, that this is a challenge. This is an invitation to swim in that pool, to be on that journey, to grow in the holiness that is yours through Christ. But if you aren't a Christian, if you're, if you're still wondering about what faith is, about who, who Jesus is, about what this sin and salvation is, I hope that you will see a glimpse at the beauty, at the joy of what life with Christ can be. And so I want to give you an urge today. Uh, kind of our outline will be following uh, one sentence here that is hopefully rememberable. Um, the, the, the sentence is, by the mercy of God, uh, Jesus has prepared you to present your life as a living sacrifice. By the mercy of God, Jesus has pre prepared you to present your life as a living sacrifice. And so what I've been wrestling with the most this week is this idea that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. You know, I, I want to jump to this idea of conforming and transforming uh, that's so juicy, it's so good, it's what a great conversation. But really the main urge that comes before us is to present our lives as living sacrifices. And what I've wrestled with is standing here before you and saying that and having to ask the question, why? Why do we do this? Why do we even enter into this idea? If I've confessed my sins and God has saved me, then why keep working on it? Now, I've, I've written out a list. Why try to please God? Why, why try to be acceptable to God if he already loves me? And some of my list has been pretty, pretty human speaking. I, I've got some, I think they're good, but they're just fleshly answers. I've, I've written all the negative answers. Because our current way of life is not working. Because the prevailing narrative is foolish. Uh, it's a heart-level rejection of good, of growth, of God. Because expressive individualism is actually a fantasy, it's not reasonable. It doesn't work logically uh, because it, an infinite competing of voices will never arrive at peace. This is great. But Jesus isn't better than the way we're living now. Jesus is, is good, infinitely so. He is the standard of good. He's not just better. He's the best. 
which always continued to drive me back to our first point, by the mercies of God. Why do we present ourselves? Not because it's a better option, but because God is merciful. Why present our bodies? Why try to be acceptable to God? The principle that I'll give you here for this point uh, is that God goes first. Look at, uh, look at verse 1. We read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. By the mercies of God. I think the NIV helps us out. Uh, it says, in view of God's mercy. That is, we present our bodies as living sacrifices to God because of and in light of his mercy. This is our motivating factor. A longer way to say that God goes first is that God's work in you comes before your working out in life. God works in you before you work out. We're in Romans 12 today. What comes before Romans 12 is Romans 1 through 11. I went to, I went to a seminary, and, uh, and that was one of our lessons. Uh, Romans 1 through 11 comes before Romans 12. I was really grateful for how much money my, my family had spent to learn that, that lesson there, that simple counting. But what's the content of, uh, of Romans 1 through 11? I'll give a four-point summary of Romans 1 through 11. God's sufficient revelation of himself for salvation. God sufficiently reveals himself that we might be saved. That's the first point of Romans. And then we get to this next point. Man chooses against God, both by nature and by choice. Then we also understand that God's holy justice is to punish sin by death. So we have God has revealed himself. He's revealed reality. That includes man's sin and his justice. And then we get to this sweet part here. And then God's merciful gift of forgiveness of sins comes through faith alone in Christ alone, not by works, so that no man may boast. Your sin must be acknowledged and rightly placed next to God's mercy. So why present our bodies? Because of the mercy of God. This idea of mercy, I want to clarify this one as well. A helpful hint, this is utterly reduced. Grace is the good stuff God gives us that we don't deserve. So when we talk about grace, it's the good stuff God gives us that we don't deserve. Mercy is different than that. Mercy is the bad stuff God doesn't give us that we do deserve. Grace is like the beautiful day that we have here in Iowa. It is lovely. It is fantastic. We don't deserve it. It is good, and God has given it to us. I mean, that's a simple one, but that's helpful, hopefully, to define grace. Now, we get to mercy, and we look at this thing through Romans, which says the wrath of God is upon those who sin. The wages of sin is death. Death is the bad stuff. Uh, death is not given to us, though we deserve it. That's the mercy of God. And so we look at the mercies of God. Your sin must be acknowledged and rightly placed next to God's mercy. So some thinking too much of themselves or too little of their sin, some who are unwilling to consider a less than encouraging news, 
or maybe some who kick against the prospect of freedom uh, hindering rules, they often opt to believe that God forgives all sin. They just go all in on love, and they say, this isn't bad news. This isn't restricting news. This is just how it is, and I want God's love endlessly. But that's not mercy. It's not merciful for God to disregard his rules. You see, holiness is the goal, and that requires a separation between good and bad. We, we need the rules there. I mean, you've seen this play out with pushover parents who'd rather befriend their kids than actually, uh, than actually teach them, form them, model them into adults who understand well-intended well authority. Love without limits is entitlement. An entitlement left of its own cultivates unfaithful soil that, that, that may ultimately be in competition with God. And so we need to bring the justice, the law of God, into love for it to be merciful. But we don't want to go so far because law without love is legalism. And legalism, uh, as, as I might define it, is an unending offering of attempted perfection on the altar of dissatisfaction. An unending offering of attempted perfection on the altar of dissatisfaction. And that way of life and of faith is not only wrong, it's crushing. I will never be good enough. That's not the gospel. And so sometimes we, we tend to pick one or the other side because our brains are wired to just love one or the other, and the balance is really hard to get to. That balance between love and law is mercy. My point is we can't have God's mercy without God's justice, nor can we have God's mercy without God's love. Also, we can't survive without God's mercy. The wages of sin is death. We need his mercy. It is because God is holy and just and also at the same time equally loving and merciful that he chooses to extend forgiveness to repentant believers. So why do we offer our lives? Why do we present ourselves as living sacrifices? It's because of God's mercy. And so as we move from that reality that God has told us his mercy is, is the arrow's pointing end, then how do we respond in life today? Well, we do that by living as maybe both a thank you letter and an invitation. We live out our life as a grateful thank you letter to God. It is because of God's mercy. It is because of God's mercy. But also, we live it out evangelistically, missionally, whatever words you want to use to be that pleasing aroma to the world around you as we live out our life pointing to the mercies of God, inviting people into the renewing power of God's love. And so, here we go. This is the biggest part of the sermon because I think the big push today is to answer the question, why even enter into, sanctific into sanctification? Why enter this journey? With the mercies of God as your starting point, as your motive, as your fuel, I'd ask, what do you have to lose for taking action in the process of sanctification? 
It's there. His mercy's there. So try hard. His mercy's there. So don't sit around because his mercy is there. So, if we get to the work of presenting ourselves to God, what is it that we're actually presenting? So point one is by the mercies of God. Then we move to point two here. Jesus has prepared you. We, are sacrifice, uh, we sacrifice what has been prepared by God. So the principle that we have here is that sanctification is, is, is living out or growing into what you are in Christ. So let's look at the words here. Uh, what are we? We are uh, bodies. We sacrifice our bodies. This is what's being sacrificed. For decades, I thought uh, I would read Romans 1, and I thought that it meant that it was like my body was the instrument, which I think is true, uh, that then when it says living sacrifices, it's that in my life, in my days, every day is an opportunity for me to present a variety of sacrifices to God. My body, every day living, every day gives a sacrifice. That's how, it, that's how I've thought it for decades. Well, that's not actually what it reads here. Uh, it says, present your bodies, and that's, that's plural, and English is, is, is failing there. So all y'all's bodies as a, a living sacrifice, as one sacrifice. So all your bodies, so each of you, so all y'all have a body. That body, the soma, the body, the, com- the completeness of who you are in your, in your, in your emotions, in your thoughts, in your, in your words, in your actions, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, I think the Bible says. With all of that, the body being that vessel which we have experiences and actions, all of that stuff, then offers one singular sacrifice. Sunday morning is not your sacrifice to God. Monday night, Bible study. Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, Bible study. That's not your sacrifice. Wednesday night, community group. That's not your sacrifice. You don't have multiple sacrifices. The whole, the entirety of your life for all of your days, is your one sacrifice to God. You mess up here on this day, it doesn't balance the scale by by making it right on Sunday. Your whole life is this. And you offer all of you to God as a sacrifice. That sacrificial language is kind of strange because the sacrifice is dead. So then we get into these words, living, holy, and pleasing or acceptable to understand that a little bit more. Our sacrifice is living because of Jesus. Because Jesus, the Lamb of God, died for sin. That's, that's John 1. Christians are living because they, uh, be, uh, through faith, because the faith that they have uh, gets them alive in Christ. Romans 6. Christians are living because through faith they are alive in Christ. Romans 6. Therefore, there is no need for the daily giving of sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 9. Because Jesus took God's wrath on our behalf. Uh, Romans 5. You see, the way that I've thought about giving multiple sacrifices was more or less a veiled form of legalism, of winning God's favor to my side. Now, he already likes me. (laughs) He already loves me. His mercy is there. He has made me new. I can live to offer my whole life as a sacrifice. 
Now, sacrifices throughout the Bible have to be consecrated or made holy or set apart. All of this language is all the same. And we see that we are living because of Jesus, but also we are holy because of the Spirit. As sacrifices, our bodies are consecrated or made holy through the Word and the Spirit. That's John 17. We then live out and grow into the holiness that we already have in Jesus And so we are living, we're holy, and now we are acceptable or pleasing. Our sacrifice is acceptable because of God's goodness. And here is where the arrows need to go point in. As such, God uh, is the creator and the judge of all. Because of this, he alone defines the true, the good, the beautiful. He alone determines what is pleasing, what is acceptable. He is the standard, not us. And I think this is probably the most difficult, hardest part of reality to accept for an entitled nation conforming to the notion of expressive individualism. We believe we design the rules, and that's almost the first step toward understanding the gospel, is to realize that God sets the limits, sets the standard of what is acceptable and pleasing. But also through Jesus, we find that we already are pleasing to him. So by the mercy of God, he's prepared you, and now we get to the act of presenting your life as a living sacrifice. And I'll go a little bit brief on this one. Uh, The basic principle is you will be influenced by something going from here. Uh, Maybe another way to say it is something will form you today and every day forward. Something has formed you, whether you knew it or not, whether directly or indirectly, intentionally, not so much. There's something that that shapes your mind. There's something that shapes your heart that moves your body to act certain ways. We take certain jobs. We marry certain people. We raise kids certain ways. We go to different schools. All of these things are influenced by something that made it seem right when when that decision was made. We're going to be formed to something. Now, there's one way we can do this uh, that that verse 2 says is that we can be conformed to this world, to the the spirit of the age, to the pattern of what's going on now. Uh, To be conformed is is there's, you know, the mold that's there. There's the pattern that's there, and then we kind of stretch ourselves into that thing, and, uh, and we learn how to speak the language and be the way and and reason and read the books and and talk the language. Um, And that's maybe one way to do it. The strange thing about our current age right now is that uh, in order to conform to it, I think the one that's most, the the idea that's most prevailing for us to conform to is like we become good. What is a a good person? What is someone who understands uh, life and reality? Is that person who understands and and, and meets all of the expectations that they themselves define the pattern. It's a kind of a self-defeating argument that we live in right now. Is that we... We are, we are welcomed into the conversation when we understand that everyone's truth is, is all the same. There is no real pattern. It's kind of chaos. And so maybe that's where you were. Maybe the rat race is a veiled form of that. But maybe that's where you were. Your job, your career, the money in the bank. Uh, maybe, maybe something along the lines of any, any kind of area of, of, of identity, any, any idea of, of social justice. Maybe you've taken that too far to where, where some kind of identity inside of me has to, has to define what that is. 
I have an ideal of what the perfect husband is. I have an ideal of what the perfect man is. I have an ideal of, of what the perfect gender is or, 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 or spectrum of gender or any of those things, and that's driving. That's conforming. He says, but we need to be transformed. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. John Calvin, he said it so wonderfully. Uh, For how much soever we flatter ourselves, that declaration of Christ is still true, that every man must be born again who would enter into the kingdom of God. For in mind and heart, we are altogether alienated from the righteousness of God. He goes on to say, but if the renovation of our minds is necessary, and Romans suggests it is, if the renovation of our mind is necessary, in order that we may prove what is the will of God, it is evident how opposed it is to God. It's not let your mind be influenced and change trajectory. Romans 6 says your mind's got to die before you can even understand the glories of God. Total about faith, death and resurrection. We need that, but that takes humility. And the spirit of our age does not like humility. And so what do we do in that transforming process? Maybe that's what I'll leave us with today. Maybe some suggestions on how we enter into the work of being transformed. I think that's the first step, is take an active yet humble step forward. You see, we need to choose. The the word has been given. The gospel has been presented. The Spirit is there disciplining us, uh, uh, convicting us, guiding us to the way we need to go. We now have to be active to respond, and that active response is to be transformed. We're not going to work on this and transform ourselves. We must actively go into spot of learning, of humility, of not thinking at the lines point out. How do we do that? Maybe if that's one step. I think in sanctification, there are many steps, and each step is is a little bit different for everyone. But I do feel like there's that step that each of us has to take, which is called that humble pie step. (laughs) And that step, that step is brutal. Sometimes it takes years to just make that step. But the sooner we do, Proverbs says, the sooner we're on to wisdom. So maybe here are three ways. If we pause our emotion, and transform it by the gospel. I think this pausing of what I would normally do exercises some kind of self-control, fruit of the Spirit, form of faith. And when we exercise some of that restraint, we build that muscle. We build that virtuous muscle. This is why when we work out, uh, it's not good to just like bench press all the time and think I'm physically fit. We do the circuit. You know, you, you want to you get the, the full workout. We have to test ourselves in, in more ways than this. We have to work out our salvation in, in many aspects. I think with our emotions, with our decisions, with our relationships. So pause your emotions to, to transform them by the gospel. If you have this feeling of unworthiness or of guilt, pause there before you go too far. And you need to exercise it with the truth of the gospel. It's your beloved that you are wanted, that you are sought after. Because there's balance in that. And you can learn from that. Uh, If you think that you need to be perfect, if there's legalism, if you have to do certain things, you need to put the mercy of God in front of you. Pause that action. The mercy of God. Do I need to do this, this way, to this degree? 
When you have uh, anger come to the surface, it's great. Anger is not a sin. Acting on anger is a sin. Pause. The mercy of God in God's did not punish me by his anger, but directed it. So then what do I do? In that, you're being transformed in your mind. If you go with lust, if you're going in and you're clicking and clicking and clicking further and further and further, hit the brakes on that, the mercy of God and his beauty. He has made me an image of God. He has made them an image of God. And what do we do to stop? I, maybe this is a suggestion. Is when we stop before we start yelling or before we start adding on to the endless comment section on social media that's never helpful, uh, or we continue clicking or whatever, stop those. And as we leave those, don't just leave them and turn away as though the fire we're going to get burned. Remember the mercy of God and say, thank you, God, for your mercy on a sinner like me. And maybe time after time, we'll build that godly, sanctifying reflex, that muscle to help us in times of trouble. So pause your emotions. Pause your decisions to advance the gospel. All of your heart, all of your soul, your mind, your strength, your thought, your will, your desire, they need to be leveraged. How do I go about parenting in a way that advances the gospel? How will my kids see glimpses with clarity of God? How will my, how will my kids see glimpses of, of his authority, of his justice, of his love, of his presence? of his ability to forgive again and again and again and again, even when we've disciplined the exact same thing for the 100th time. He does that to us. And maybe the last one here is, is pause your time for sanctification. I think this might be the best one. I think this might be the one that is the most helpful right now as we begin to regather, as we begin to ease that distance from each other and get into each other's lives again, look each other in the face Let's put down our screens and see our skin and actually have conversations. I think if we enter the posture of humility, not of universalism that we're going to throw the gospel out and learn anything and everything, but one of humility that maybe I have something to learn of Christ from the other person. So listen and learn ideas. Learn from others' experiences. Take the posture of humility. Reason with one another. My wife and I were edified by, by another couple here a few days ago as we talked about just this idea, idea of giving, of tithing. And they said something. They, they kind of gave us a hard check. And my wife and I walked away from it. We said, this is amazing. You know, it, 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 it welled up a gratitude for us uh, that we hadn't explored before. But it took us maybe breaking down the fact that we thought we had that whole idea of giving tightened up. And maybe I'd encourage you to pick someone that's not like you, to listen to someone who has different experiences. Listen to your kids and how they understand things. Listen to other people's kids, how they understand things. Listen to people who are older than you. Listen to people of other races. Listen to people who have faith and who don't have faith and learn more about God and his working with people. I'm scared that we, we, we may have moved into something, into a season, or into a new way of civilization that's in completely digital. 
We lose something when we sit with people for a long time and hear their stories. I was able to spend some time with, uh, with an older saint uh, this week. Just listen to their story. It was marvelous. I wanted to cry. I wanted to laugh. And I, I walked away with no resolve. But I felt like the tapestry of the fellowship of God had been woven more. Maybe we just do that. Maybe think of someone who you have a disagreement with, who you're not seeing eye to eye with. Maybe you just think of someone who might be different than you. There are a lot of people different than you. Outside your affinity group, I'd say, hey, want to talk? There's something we can learn in the transforming of our mind. And it doesn't have to be through endless reading of books, though that is very good. If you know me, I believe in that one. But maybe we just need to ease off the fact that we want to define our own salvation, our own Savior, We want to define our own faith. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And in doing this, our goal is to understand the will of God what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And this is our, verse one, spiritual worship. The word literally there behind spiritual is the word we use for logic. This is reasonable. This makes sense. This follows. That God goes first. His mercy moves us to the journey of sanctification. I'm very excited to enter this with you guys. We've already been doing it, but to name it, so name it, and the aspects of it, and the features of it, and the paths that it takes us on, to do this together, that we can more clearly, more accurately, more efficiently throw our focus into becoming who we are in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this journey. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that we can become holy because of your mercy. We thank you that we can love one another better because of your mercy. We thank you that we can understand your scripture more clearly and accurately and with application because of your mercy. And we thank you that we can worship you truly, rightly, honestly, humbly, with praise and joy because of your mercy. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the work of your word, the work of the spirit, and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.